Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, it's Graham Hunter. This is the big interview at the Euros. We've got colour, we've got analysis, we've got match action. I'm going to be following Spain all around the tournament until they go out in Rome in the quarterfinals. And we've got guests. Johnny, obviously I'm going to go straight for the most expected question, but can you believe that it's 25 years since the Luton uh, Lizards? And could you explain what the Luton Lizards are and how that relates to a European Championship starring England versus Scotland? Uh, well, I went for I went for a jog on Saturday, and given that I've been limping ever since, then yeah, I can believe it's. Uh, what did you say it was? 23 20, years? 20, 25 years from yeah, I mean, until today. I mean, yeah, we were we were young and uh, in our prime then, weren't we, Graham? We were uh, we were a bit fitter than now. But um, yeah, yeah, I mean, for, for those that haven't heard the legend of the Luton Lizards, and I, I struggle to believe there are still people who haven't, that certainly listen to this show. You know, you had you had the Euros, obviously. You had the, 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 the Scotland-England game in the middle of Euro 96. Um and that was a kind of taster, really, for the big game, which was Scottish press versus English press down at the Vauxhall um, factory playing fields, I suppose they were, down in, in Luton. Um, and uh, we put together a fine team, went down on a bus from... Were you staying in Kenilworth for the rest of us? Staying in some sort of Shakespeare country. It was in Warwickshire somewhere, as I remember. Yeah, so so a year in 96, Scotland were training at the National Agriculture Centre, um, which is near Stratford-upon-Avon. Press were staying in Kenilworth and Leamington. Beautiful, beautiful part of the country. Uh, and we all very much enjoyed our, our nightlife and our trip. Uh, and yeah, we, we got a bus down from, from the Midlands down to Luton. I think we met you probably and a few others up at Luton and uh, played the English press who, uh, well, we, we, we had our own ringer, big Derek Johnston, who was uh, cup winners, cup winner, cup winners, cup winner, Rangers, Chelsea, you know, fantastic football brain, great player. Um, and they had Mark Bright who had, uh, I mean, Derek was about 18 stone and in his forties, 40, 44, where, where Mark Bright was a current Premier League Sheffield Wednesday striker. Mark Bright was about, yeah, 29, had just moved for two million quid, was a current Premier League striker, 
you know, not that far from the England squad itself. You've led me to you've led me to the water. I'm a horse that will drink. What, what was the final score? <laughs> well, actually, I mean, you know, was it three one? Was it three two? It, it was. It, it felt like a lot more. And you and Big Derek Johnson were playing directly opposite this Premier League striker. There's not. I haven't often marked a two and a half million pound Premier League striker as playing centre back and got away with it and it might have had something to do with Big Derek's football brain which was unbelievable I mean I can only uh, describe the experiences it was like he had me on a stick you know he he, he played sweeper I played centre half he had me on a stick and every time he needed me to go left it was left son left son right son right son and just moved me around the pitch and uh, as a result nothing Mark Bright could do was uh, was getting past us, us, me and Big Derek, and uh, it was it was fantastic. Put him on his arse a couple of times. He, I mean, he was good, but you know, uh, we were we were we were we were better. And it wasn't just about me marking Mark Bright. I mean, we were a good team, weren't we? Exceptional right back, exceptional right back play. But I, I, I'd also say I don't really want to focus on that. I want to let people know that we're talking to Jonathan Northcroft, probably more famous for deadlines and darts with Delhi Ali, um, quickfire. If I told you in Russia that Deli Ali wouldn't be a part of this squad, would you have been a little bit surprised? Shocked, absolutely shocked. You know, thought thought he'd be one of the, the the big players, not just of England, but a big big player of Europe by this point in his career. Johnny has been for many many years the lead writer in England, not just for the Sunday Times, but an exceptional interviewer and feature writer and match writer. And and you're going to be part of the England force, having written that book about a new glasnost era in Russia. Nothing to do with Perestroika, or or was it? Look, Gareth Southgate, one of your colleagues, wrote this week, is kind of being set up to be a scapegoat. He's, he's come through the waistcoat moment. And David Walsh, clever, clever journalist that he is, spoke to one of uh, the first manager I ever saw Gareth Southgate playing for, which is Alan Smith at Crystal Palace, when they played a friendly in Marbella. And me and my best mate were down in the lash there, and Marbella had ringers like um, we was it Terry Phelan, the Manchester City wing back, Peter Reid and Kerry Dixon all playing for Marbella on the fly when when Crystal Palace were doing a pussy. Gareth Southgate he, he told a, an anecdote about Alan Smith saying, "Listen, you've done nothing here at Crystal Palace to justify why we signed you. Um, you're useless. You might make an estate agent or a travel agent." and he went on to 50 plus caps for England but that's not the man you know I think you or I should ask you do you regard him as a clever glasnost guy who's breaking down barriers for England and making it easier for them to do what they should do at tournaments I do um I think Gareth is there's so much more to Gareth than meets the eye but but at the same time he is also what you see is what you get and, and that what what that is is one of the most sort of decent and considered people I think we've ever seen in a major management role of that of that um, of that ilk. Certainly in the England management role, there's a balance to him, there's a thoughtfulness, and and as I say, there's just a decency that oozes out of him. But there's more to him than that. And he's a he's a he's a shrewd cookie, and he's a tough cookie, um, and he's ushered in um, a, a, a different era for for the England squad. Uh, England team when it comes to their media relations. There's no doubt about that. Um, but I suppose the point of my preamble is that, you know, he hasn't kind of done it in a happy, clappy, let's just all be nice to each other way. The, the, there's a lot of strategy behind it. And that's born from his own experience as an England player. 
of uh, being built up and then being the scapegoat on the pitch for Euro 96 and um, having, I think, a formative experience for Gareth was probably the 2002 World Cup where by that point he was late in his career. He was a non- him and Martin Keown didn't kick a ball in the, in, in the tournament. But what they did do was sat and observed the whole madness of Beckham mania and, and the start of that kind of mad era that we covered, Graham, when it culminated in Baden-Baden 2006. So he's given a lot of thought to how England should interface with the fans and with the media. And, and that's what lies behind it. And, and at the same time, he's taken, um, you know, outside advice, people like Owen Eastwood, the kind of New Zealand culture guru who preaches a lot of stuff based on kind of all blacks, Maori type ideas about humility and, and, you know, players should just think, think of themselves as inheriting the shirt and passing on the next one and all that sort of stuff. So what he wants is what Gareth wants is an England team that, uh, has no barriers, is 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 open, um, and communicates with its fans. And the first step to that is 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 being open and communicating with the with the press. And I was there in Russia when um, I think we saw that in action um, really for the first time when they had this huge uh, Super Bowl style media day beforehand, which was just I mean unbelievable. You you'll remember what it was like when. You know, we were all literally fighting in the mix zone to try and get our tape recorders in front of a David Beckham's face or whatever, Michael Owen, for a couple of minutes, where you had the Super Bowl style press conference where you could mill around a room and chatting with any England players you wanted and, and vice versa. And then that carried on in Russia when um, a big focus of it was, was, um, the comms where, you know, there was, as I wrote about in the book, the, 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 the hotel had this, this sort of big games room in it with a bowling alley and a pool table and a darts set up where the players came and, I mean, you know, an element of show to it, but also there was something genuine came and mingled with the press. Um, a big thing they do is they, 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 they also made sure that players would come in groups. So you'd get five or six players turning up and all doing press at the same time, as opposed to the old idea of, you know, here's one big star, he's going to sit on a top table, everyone's going to get their bit, and it's going to be a very sort of formal affair. Their idea is five or six of them in a room with a whole lot of journalists. If they play in the pitch as a team, they do stuff like press stuff as a team. Um, and, you know, just a lot, of, a lot of things that were designed to take the, take the burden away from players of feeling that um, the country might be against them or that the country might be um, putting them under pressure and, and the press might be against them. And that's a big thing if you speak to England players of the past, that, that you know, that sense that um, any mistake on the pitch, what are the, what are the papers going to say in the morning? How is it going to be reported on TV? What are the pundits going to say? You know, that's one of the things that they talk about the England jersey weighing heavily on a lot of players. And I think one of the things that weighed it down in the past was that fear of the press, fear of the public. And a lot of these things that Gareth has brought in, there's been thought to it, there's been strategy to it, and it has been to try and take away those little bits of pressure, enabling the players to perform on the pitch. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When I watch from afar and I watch the two World Cup wins that England had at junior level, and I look at the gigantic seismic impact that the quality of continental coaches and South American coaches have had on elite English football, married to the quality of some of the academy work. Um, I don't just sense a change. I sense a, I sense a tidal wave. And you're talking about the, the slow removal um, by Southgate of one of the other great blockages um, so that now there's a generation or two, three generations coming through of players who know how to keep a ball, not how to win a tournament, who are much more tactically acute um, on the pitch and capable of taking decisions, devolved in intelligence, I always used to call it when we saw the great continental size have it in England, not. And given that you, you had the privilege to cover what was called a golden generation, but I I mean, bollocks to that title. A series of really good footballers, exceptionally good footballers, who subsequently undressed themselves psychologically with Jay Humphreys on BT talking about things that they, they'd been forbidden to speak about at the time. The North-South divide was still there, blah, 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 blah. It, 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 whether it's this tournament or not, don't you feel you're going to be reporting on England lifting the World Cup or the European Championship sooner rather than later? Sometimes yes, sometimes no, but I, I know exactly the point you're making that there's a there's a um a change happening or has been happening in English football that does seem inevitable. You said tidal wave and, and it it's true that um players just keep coming from, from these academies with great you know, we're talk, I was talking about the blockages of, of, of that kind of pressure uh, off the pitch but there's been a removal of pressure on the pitch in the sense that these youngsters coming out of the academies and being coached so well they've got such a technical confidence about them that that fear of you know being on the pitch um, a smart foreign nation who's maybe technically really smart being able to keep the ball and that sort of fear we used to see the Beckham generation great players as they were suddenly like in their flat four four two, slightly limited not it's funny to say limited technically but I felt that generation was an example of 
players who were utterly brilliant at what they did, but maybe didn't have that tactical dexterousness or that ability to become a different type of player in a different situation when required. You know, Beckham did his Beckham thing all the time. Gerard always did his Gerard thing. Um, whereas this lot are much more resistant to pressures and game situations because they're flexible footballers. Look at a Jude Bellingham. Look at through him. You know, in in his short England career, that kid has played defensive midfield. He's played attacking midfield. He's played uh, on, on, in wider positions when he's needed to, and he just. Does what he whatever that the situation on the pitch is required, he's kind of able to do it because he's got the brain and he's got the technical skills to to do that. So I, I know the point you're making. My my sort of pause is that um, in a funny way, England have produced a lot of these great new types of players, but I think the the traditional things that England used to be really good at are probably where they they're, they're shortest at the moment. Obvious ones being the goalkeeper and centre back positions. Maybe, uh, you know, the striking positions beyond Harry Kane. If you take Harry Kane away from that, then you'd suddenly be looking at an England team that that's pretty short in quality in, in those, the traditional English positions, centre-forward, centre-back, goalkeeper. So I do wonder whether, you know, they just keep producing brilliant attacking midfielders and um, or attack-minded midfield players. And uh, I think to take that final step, they probably need a bit more of the other sort. Well, just just to add to your sense of millennial dread, that tournament victory is going to be when they appoint Pep Guardiola to succeed Southgate and everything comes together. Um, I'm going to avoid the Scotland game because we've just spent a happy hour with Pat Nevin talking about it and avoid the fact that you're probably wearing your tartan underpants while smiling gleefully as Harry Kane scores his second. England-Croatia is a real grudge match. Um, poor old Steve McLaren is still um, badly brolly wounded from qualification from 2008 when he, he completely spaffed it. I know you think that the current England manager, and I certainly think, at least as pungently as you do, utterly misread the in-play part of England-Croatia in what threatened to be a World Cup final, which really should have been a World Cup final appearance. There's been a chance to erase some of that soreness in the Nations League but those two games were tight as a duck's arse that, that's, a, that's a massive game culturally in, in football brains as well Croatia against uh, England in the group game I don't know which ones you're, you're focusing upon hello, swimming time's coming soon but let me, let me draw you towards your anticipation of what kind of test um, Croatia pose for England and what, what baggage England still carry into that game if any well it's funny because the, the, yes in the World Cup they were blindsided they I don't they just didn't realise how much Croatia were going to be able to build themselves up and portray England as I mean I remember them you, you remember Croatia came out with this stuff that England had been boasting and they'd been arrogant and they'd I mean in the England camp they were going what what, what did we say we've, we've not said anything and they hadn't said anything but the Croatia had done that thing where they'd found some translation of some quote and managed to blow it up and put it up in the wall and yeah, they'll do the same again they will they will portray England as the old colonial imperialistic arrogant England of old however England try and play it and what England must do is 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 just be prepared for that. Be prepared for Croatia playing as if they're playing against the enemy. 
um, playing with intensity and not, not, you know, be able to match that in terms of their intensity, but not, not get sucked into any of it, ignore all that sort of stuff. Um, I mean, the, the subsequent games were funny because the, 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 the first one in Rijeka was obviously played without fans because uh, Croatia had a, had a UEFA ban on support. So in some ways it was a non-occasion. It was, a, it was in a little seaside town, no fans, like the games we've been seeing for the last year, no, you know, no, no real atmosphere or context. And then England only just got away with it at Wembley in the return match, got away with it from a, you know, a losing position, set piece, a throw in, you know, a couple of late goals. So I think they'd be fooling themselves if they thought that they had Croatia's number. I think it's England's, I regret to say it's England's toughest game of the group, but it is. Um, and it, the draw doesn't suit them. It's, you know, it's first up and we've seen England start badly in tournaments. Euro 96, they were pretty nervous and poor against Switzerland. So, I, I, and they've got they've got these England the injuries problems going into it. I think so. I think it's a really bad draw and a really tough one for England. And unless they unless they're really prepared for it to be tough, you know, they they might need to go into that with the attitude that a draw would be decent. And they're going to have to be prepared for Modric keeping the ball, and they have to be prepared for Perisic's smarts and his cleverness, and deal with all of that, and not assume that this is going to be. Um, an an easy match I I can do what I'm paid for and link uh, what you're talking about there to the dandies which I really think most people have been hanging on for and the first time I ever interviewed um, Ivan Rakitic I told him that the weekend before the dandies had won in Rijeka away in the qualification for the Europa League and Rakitic was like how did you do that it's three years since anybody's so that's just that's a casual aside we've got the last two I have to notify you that our sponsors, Bet365, want all our esteemed guests, and you're one of them, to say, uh, we're going to call it the man of the day, but it, it's the man you think will light up the tournament, for you, probably, rather than just in general. And I'm going to give you two quick shots, one for the team you'll mostly be covering, which is England, and one just straight from the heart, the, the player that lights up the tournament. Johnny? Uh, straight from the heart, John McGinn. Uh has to be. Uh, I, I love. I, I mean, is there a more lovable player? Is there a more infectiously, um, just yeah? He's just he's super John McGinn, isn't he? I mean, I, I've 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 he's he's been the missing link for Scotland. I, I love him for Villa. It's not just a Scottish thing. Just the energy. The uh, I quite like him because things go wrong a lot for him as well. He's one of the he tries stuff and it doesn't 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 always go right. Uh, and he's just he, he just uh, keeps. And if you've ever met him, he's such a such a great lad. Um, so, meatball, yeah. I was in Alicante last week filming with them and I was asked to ask every playing member, all three coaches, blah, blah, blah. So I ended up asking about 30 people, who's the funniest guy? And it, you couldn't even get the words out before they went, John McGinn, John McGinn, John McGinn, John McGinn, John McGinn, John McGinn. They feel at least like you do and, and treble. So from the heart is John McGinn, your England selection from Eng- from England. Well, I, I mean, I mentioned Jude Bellingham. I've just got a feeling that this kid, because Jordan Henderson's injured, uh, I think. I, I mean, Greeley should be the obvious answer, but I just feel we might be coming away from this looking at Jude Bellingham as a, a hundred million pound talent and going, "Oh my word, that kid!" You know, he he Jude Bellingham wasn't even born when England went out of Euro two thousand and four, which still blows my mind. You know, he's younger than Wayne Rooney was um, in, in Euro 2004 and he plays like, 
he plays like he's 29 and, and he's won two Champions Leagues. So, yeah, I, 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 just, I just think I've got a gut feeling about him as well, to be honest. But I just think he'll get to play and he could emerge as something... Well, he's special, but he could emerge as a, acknowledged as the as a as a you know gener. I think they call them the kids call them generational talents, don't they? Um, before we send you off, which is instantly now, I played your games. You're the greatest writer um, the Times organization has ever had, and I played your game, um, which is to predict so, uh, who does what. So the quarterfinals, and I wish to let you know, will be France v Spain. Who wins? France. Belgium v Italy. Who wins? Holland v Turkey. I'm sending very Alan Partridge at the moment. Sorry about that. Holland v Turkey. Holland are in the set. Wow. Uh, quarterfinals. Quarterfinals. Okay. Well, Holland v Turkey. Turkey. That's in Baku. And Rome, the Olympico, is Scotland versus England in the quarterfinals in July 3rd. But I played the full game, so it really is going to happen. Scotland v England in Rome. I'm having a nosebleed. England, I'm afraid. Okay, so the semi-finals I've got are Belgium v France and England v Turkey, and I think that's the same as you chose. And I'll give you those two semi-finals: Belgium v France and England v Turkey. Who are the two finalists, Jonathan? France, England, out of that. France, England. I have France, Turkey as the finals. Wow. I mean, I'm, I'm glad for you. You participated in the big interview at the Euros because the side you're going to be covering is going all the way to the final. The side that's in your heart is going to make an extraordinary quarter-final appearance in Rome and probably trash that eternal city in a way that the Visigoths never <laughs> even had a shot at in a, in a, in a cultural way. Johnny Northcroft, um, this has been the big interview at the Euros. You have been a good sport. Up the dandies. Thank you very much for joining us. Enjoy your Euro. Stand free. Mm-hmm.